Chapter Forty Four of the Wide Wide World. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Wide Wide World by Susan Warner. Chapter Forty Four. The Little Spirit That Haunted the Big House. The whole Marshman family returned to Ventnor immediately after the funeral. Mr. George accepted. He stayed with Mr. Humphreys over the Sabbath and preached for him, and much to everyone's pleasure, lingered still a day or two longer. Then he was obliged to leave them. John also must go back to Doncaster for a few weeks. He would not be able to get home again before the early part of August. For the month between, and as much longer indeed as possible, Mrs. Marshman wished to have Ellen at Ventnor, assuring her that it was to be her home always whenever she chose to make it so. At first, neither Mrs. Marshman nor her daughters would take any denial, and old Mr. Marshman was fixed upon it. But Ellen begged with tears that she might stay at home and begin at once, as far as she could, to take Alice's place. Her kind friends insisted that it would do her harm to be left alone for so long a time at such a season. Mr. Humphreys, at the best of times, kept very much to himself, and now he would more than ever. She would be very lonely. But how lonely he will be if I go away, said Ellen. I can't go. Finding that her heart was set upon it, and that it would be a real grief for her to go to Ventnor, John at last joined to excuse her, and he made an arrangement with Mrs. Voss instead, that she should come and stay with Ellen at the parsonage till he came back. This gave Ellen great satisfaction, and her kind Ventnor friends were obliged unwillingly to leave her. The first few days after John's departure were indeed sad days, very sad to every one, it could not be otherwise. Ellen drooped miserably. She had, however, the best possible companion in her old Swiss friend. Her good sense, her steady cheerfulness, her firm principle, were always awake for Ellen's good, ever ready to comfort her, to cheer her, to prevent her from giving undue way to sorrow, to urge her to useful exertion. Affection and gratitude to the living and the dead gave powerful aid to these efforts. Ellen rose up in the morning and lay down at night with a present pressing wish to do and be, for the ease and comfort of her adopted father and brother, all that it was possible for her. Very soon, so soon as she could rouse herself to anything, she began to turn over in her mind all manner of ways and means for this end, and in general, whatever Alice would have wished, what John did wish, was law to her. "'Marjorie,' said Ellen one day, "'I wish you would tell me all the things Alice used to do, "'so that I may begin to do them, you know, as soon as I can. "'What things, Miss Ellen?' "'I mean the things she used to do about the house, "'or to help you, don't you know? "'All sorts of things. "'I want to know them all, so that I may do them as she did. "'I want to very much.' "'Oh, Miss Ellen, dear,' said Marjorie tearfully, "'you are too little and tender to do them things. "'I'd be sorry to see you, indeed.' "'Why, no, I am not, Marjorie,' said Ellen.' "'Don't you know how I used to do it, Aunt Fortunes? "'Now tell me, please, dear Marjorie. "'If I can't do it, I won't, you know.' "'Oh, Miss Ellen, she used to see to various things about the house. "'I don't know as I can tell em all directly. "'Some was to help me, and some to please her father, "'or Mr. John, if he was at home. "'She thought of every one before herself, sure enough. "'Well, what, Marjorie, what are they? "'Tell me all you can remember.' Why, Miss Ellen, for one thing, she used to go into the library every morning to put it in order, and dust the books and papers and things. In fact, she took the charge of that room entirely. I never went into it at all, unless once or twice in the year, or to wash the windows. Ellen looked grave. She thought with herself there might be a difficulty in the way of her taking this part of Alice's daily duties. She did not feel that she had the freedom of the library. 
"'And then,' said Marjorie, "'she used to skim the cream for me most mornings, when I'd be busy, "'and wash up the breakfast things.' "'Oh, I forgot all about the breakfast things,' exclaimed Ellen. "'How could I? I'll do them to be sure after this. "'I never thought of them, Marjorie, and I'll skim the cream, too.' "'Dear Miss Ellen, I wouldn't want you to. "'I didn't mention it for that, but you was wishing me to tell you. "'I don't want you to trouble your dear little head about such work. "'It was more the thoughtfulness that cared about me "'than the help of all she could do, though that wasn't a little. "'I'll get along well enough. "'But I should like to. It would make me happier.' "'And don't you think I want to help you, too, Marjorie?' "'The Lord bless you, Miss Ellen,' said Marjorie, in a sort of desperation, setting down one iron and taking up another. "'Don't talk in that way, or you'll upset me entirely. "'I ain't a bit better than a child,' said she, her tears falling fast on the sheet she was hurriedly ironing. "'What else, dear Marjorie?' said Ellen presently. "'Tell me what else.' "'Well, Miss Ellen,' said Marjorie, dashing away the water from either eye. She used to look over the clothes when they went up from the wash, and put them away, and mend them if there was any places wanted mending. "'I am afraid I don't know how to manage that,' said Ellen, very gravely. "'There is one thing I can do. I can darn stockings very nicely. But that's only one kind of mending. I don't know much about the other kinds.' "'Ah, well, but she did, however,' said Marjorie, searching in her basket of clothes for some particular pieces. A beautiful mender she was, to be sure. Look here, Miss Ellen, just see that patch, the way it is put on, so evenly by a thread all round. And the stitches, see? And see the way this rent is darned down. Oh, that was the way she did everything. I can't do it so, said Ellen, sighing, but I can learn, that I can do. You will teach me, Marjorie, won't you? Indeed, Miss Ellen, dear, it's more than I can myself. But I will tell you who will, and that's Mrs. Voss. I am thinking it was her she learned of in the first place, but I ain't certain. Anyhow, she's a first-rate hand. Then I'll get her to teach me, said Ellen. That will do very nicely. And now, Marjorie, what else? Oh, dear, Miss Ellen, I don't know. There was a thousand little things that I'd only recollect at the minute. She'd set the table for me when my hands was uncommon full, and often she'd come out and make some little thing for the master when I wouldn't have the time to do the same myself. And I can't tell— one can't think of those things but just at the minute. Dear Miss Ellen, I'd be sorry, indeed, to see you a-trying your little hands to do all that she has done. Never mind, Marjorie, said Ellen, and she threw her arms round the kind old woman as she spoke. I won't trouble you, and you won't be troubled if I am awkward about anything at first, will you? Marjorie could only throw down her holder to return most affectionately, as well as respectfully, Ellen's caress, and press a very hearty kiss upon her forehead. Ellen next went to Mrs. Voss, to beg her help in the mending and patching line. Her old friend was very glad to see her take up anything with interest, and readily agreed to do her best in the matter. So some old clothes were looked up, pieces of linen, cotton, and flannel gathered together, a large basket found to hold all these rags of shape and no shape, and for the next week or two Ellen was indefatigable. She would sit making vain endeavors to arrange a large linen patch properly, till her cheeks were burning with excitement, and bend over a darn, doing her best to make invisible stitches, till Mrs. Voss was obliged to assure her it was quite unnecessary to take so much pains. Taking pains, however, is the sure way to success. Ellen could not rest satisfied till she had equaled Alice's patching and darning, and though when Mrs. Voss left her she had not quite reached that point, she was bidding fair to do so in a little while. In other things she was more at home. She could skim milk well enough, and immediately began to do it for Marjorie. 
She at once also took upon herself the care of the parlor cupboard, and all the things in it, which she well knew had been Alice's office, and thanks to Miss Fortune's training, even Marjorie was quite satisfied with her neat and orderly manner of doing it. Ellen begged her, when the clothes came up from the wash, to show her where everything went, so that for the future she might be able to put them away, and she studied the shelves of the linen closet, and the chest of drawers in Mr. Humphrey's room, till she almost knew them by heart. As to the library, she dared not venture. She saw Mr. Humphreys at meals and at prayers, only then. He had never asked her to come into his study since the night she sang to him, and as for her asking, nothing could have been more impossible. Even when he was out of the house, out by the hour, Ellen never thought of going where she had not been expressly permitted to go. When Mr. Van Brunt informed his wife of Ellen's purpose to desert her service and make her future home at the parsonage, the lady's astonishment was only less than her indignation, the latter not at all lessened by learning that Ellen was to become the adopted child of the house. For a while her words of displeasure were poured forth in a torrent, Mr. Van Brunt meantime saying very little, and standing by like a steadfast rock that the waves dash past, not upon. She declared this was the cap-sheaf of Miss Humphrey's doings. She might have been wise enough to have expected as much. She wouldn't have been such a fool if she had. This was what she had let Ellen go there for, a pretty return. But she went on. She wondered who they thought they had to deal with. Did they think she was going to let Ellen go in that way? She had the first and only right to her, and Ellen had no more business to go and give herself away than one of her oxen. They would find it out, she guessed, pretty quick, Mr. John and all. She'd have her back in no time. What were her thoughts and feelings when, after having spent her breath, she found her husband quietly opposed to this conclusion? Words cannot tell. Her words cannot. She was absolutely dumb, till he had said his say. And then, appalled by the serenity of his manner, she left indignation on one side for the present, and began to argue the matter. But Mr. Van Brunt coolly said he had promised. She might get as many help as she liked, he would pay for them, and welcome. But Ellen would have to stay where she was. He had promised Miss Alice, and he wouldn't break his word, for king, lords, and commons, a most extraordinary expletive for a good Republican, which Mr. Van Brunt had probably inherited from his father and grandfather. What can waves do against a rock? Miss Fortune disdained a struggle which must end in her own confusion, and wisely kept her chagrin to herself, never even approaching the subject afterwards, with him or any other person. Ellen had left the whole matter to Mr. Van Brunt expecting a storm, and not wishing to share it. Happily, it all blew over. As the month drew to an end, and indeed long before, Ellen's thoughts began to go forward eagerly to John coming home. She had learned by this time how to mend clothes. She had grown somewhat wanted to her new round of little household duties, and everything else the want of him was felt. Study flagged, though, knowing what his wish would be, and what her duty was, she faithfully tried to go on with it. She had no heart for riding or walking by herself. She was lonely. She was sorrowful. She was weary. All Mrs. Voss's pleasant society was not worth the mere knowledge that he was in the house. She longed for his coming. He had written what day they might expect him, but when it came, Ellen found that her feeling had changed. It did not look the bright day she had expected it would. Up to that time she had thought only of herself. Now she remembered what sort of a coming home this must be to him and she dreaded almost as much as she wished for the moment of his arrival. Mrs. Voss was surprised to see that her face was sadder that day than it had been for many past. She could not understand it. Ellen did not explain. It was late in the day before he reached home. 
and her anxious watch of hope and fear for the sound of his horse's feet grew very painful she busied herself with setting the tea-table it was all done and she could by no means do anything else she could not go to the door to listen there she remembered too well the last time and she knew he would remember it he came at last ellen's feeling had judged rightly of his for the greeting was without a word on either side and when he left the room to go to his father it was very very long before he came back and it seemed to ellen for several days that he was more grave and talked less than even the last time he had been at home she was sorry when mrs voss proposed to leave them but the old lady wisely said they would all feel better when she was gone and it was so truly as she was respected and esteemed on all sides it was felt a relief by every one of the family when she went back to her mountain-top they were left to themselves they saw what their numbers were there was no restraint upon looks words or silence ellen saw at once that the gentleman felt easier that was enough to make her so the extreme oppression that had grieved and disappointed her for the first few days after john's return gave place to a softened gravity and the household fell again into its old ways only that upon every brow there was a chastened air of sorrow and everything that was said a tone of remembrance and that a little figure was going about where alice's used to move as mistress of the house thanks to her brother that little figure was an exceeding busy one she had in the first place her household duties in discharging which she was perfectly untiring from the cream skimmed for marjorie and the cups of coffee poured out every morning for mr humphreys and her brother to the famous mending which took up often one half of saturday whatever she did was done with her best diligence and care and from love to both the dead and the living ellen's zeal never slackened these things however filled but a small part of her time let her be as particular as she would and mr john effectually hindered her from being too particular he soon found a plenty for both her and himself to do not that they ever forgot or tried to forget alice on the contrary they sought to remember her humbly calmly hopefully thankfully by diligent performance of duty by christian faith by conversation and prayer they strove to do this and after a time succeeded sober that winter was but it was very far from being an unhappy one john said ellen one day some time after mrs voss had left them do you think mr humphreys would let me go into his study every day when he is out to put it in order and dust the books certainly but why does not marjorie do it she does i believe but she never used to and i should like to do it very much if i was sure he would not dislike it i would be careful not to disturb anything i would leave everything just as i found it you may go when you please and do what you please there ellie but i don't like to i couldn't without speaking to him first i should be afraid he might come back and find me there and he would think i hadn't had leave and you wish me to speak to him is that it can you not muster resolution enough for that ellie ellen was satisfied for she knew by his tone he would do what she wanted father said john the next morning at breakfast ellen wishes to take upon herself the daily care of your study but she is afraid to venture there without being assured it will please you to see her there the old gentleman laid his hand affectionately on ellen's head and told her she was welcome to come and go when she would the whole house was hers the grave kindness and tenderness of the tone and action spoiled ellen's breakfast she could not look at anybody nor hold up her head for the rest of the time as alice had anticipated her brother was called to take the charge of a church at randolph and at the same time another more distant was offered to him he refused them both rightly judging that his place for the present was at home but the call from randolph being pressed upon him very much he at length agreed to preach for them during the winter 
riding thither for the purpose every Saturday, and returning to Caracara on Monday. As the winter wore on, a grave cheerfulness stole over the household. Ellen little thought how much she had to do with it. She never heard Marjorie tell her husband, which she often did with great affection, that that blessed child was the light of the house, and those who felt it the most said nothing. Ellen was sure indeed from the way in which Mr. Humphrey spoke to her, looked at her, now and then laid his hand on her head, and sometimes, very rarely, kissed her forehead, that he loved her and loved to see her about, and that her wish of supplying Alice's place was in some little measure fulfilled. Few as those words and looks were, they said more to Ellen than whole discourses would from other people. The least of them gladdened her heart with the feeling that she was a comfort to him. But she never knew how much. Deep as the gloom still over him was, Ellen never dreamed how much deeper it would have been but for the little figure flitting round and filling up the vacancy, how much he reposed on the gentle look of affection, the pleasant voice, the watchful thoughtfulness that ever left anything undone that she could do for his pleasure. Perhaps he did not know it himself. She was not sure he even noticed many of the little things she daily did or tried to do for him. Always silent and reserved, he was more so now than ever. She saw him little, and very seldom long at a time, unless when they were riding to church together. He was always in his study or abroad. But the trifles she thought he did not see were noted and registered, and repaid with all the affection he had to give. As for Mr. John, it never came into Ellen's head to think whether she was a comfort to him. He was a comfort to her. She looked at it in quite another point of view. He had gone to his old sleeping-room upstairs, which Marjorie had settled with herself he would make his study, and for that he had taken the sitting-room. This was Ellen's study, too, so she was constantly with him, and of the quietest she thought her movements would have to be. "'What are you stepping so softly for?' said he one day, catching her hand as she was passing near him. "'You were busy. I thought you were busy,' said Ellen. "'And what then? I was afraid of disturbing you.' "'You never disturb me,' said he. "'You need not fear it. Step as you please, and do not shut the doors carefully. I see you and hear you, but without any disturbance.' Ellen found it was so, but she was an exception to the general rule. Other people disturbed him, as she had one or two occasions of knowing. Of one thing she was perfectly sure— whatever he might be doing, that he saw and heard her, and equally sure, that if anything were not right, she should sooner or later hear of it. But this was a censorship Ellen rather loved than feared. In the first place, she was never misunderstood. In the second, however ironical and severe he might be to others, and Ellen knew he could be both when there was occasion, he was never either to her. With great plainness always, but with an equally happy choice of time and manner, he either said or looked what he wished her to understand. This happened, indeed, only about comparative trifles. To have seriously displeased him, Ellen would have thought the last great evil that could fall upon her in the world. One day Marjorie came into the room, with a paper in her hand. "'Miss Ellen,' said she, in a low tone, "'here is Anthony Fox again. He has brought another of his curious letters.' that he wants to know if Miss Ellen will be so good as to write out for him once. He says he is ashamed to trouble you so much. Ellen was reading, comfortably ensconced in the corner of the wide sofa. She gave a glance, a most ungratified one, at the very original document in Marjorie's hand. Unpromising it certainly looked. Another, dear me, I wonder if there isn't somebody else he could get to do it for him, Marjorie. I think I have had my share." You don't know what a piece of work it is to copy out one of those scrawls. It takes me ever so long, in the first place, to find out what he has written, and then to put it so that anyone else can make sense of it. I've got about enough of it. 
Don't you suppose he could find plenty of other people to do it for him? I don't know, Miss Ellen. I suppose he could. Then ask him do, won't you, Marjorie? I am so tired of it. And this is the third one, and I've got something else to do. Ask him if there isn't somebody else he can get to do it. If there isn't, I will. Tell him I am busy. Marjorie withdrew, and Ellen buried herself again in her book. Anthony Fox was a poor Irishman, whose uncouth attempts at a letter Ellen had once offered to write out and make straight for him. Upon hearing Marjorie tell of his lamenting, that he could not make one fit to send home to his mother. Presently Marjorie came in again, stepping this time at the table, which Mr. John had pushed to the far side of the room to get away from the fire. "'I beg your pardon, sir,' she said. "'I am ashamed to be so troublesome. But this Irish body, this Anthony Fox, has begged me, and I didn't know how to refuse him, to come in and ask for a sheet of paper and a pen for him, sir. He wants to copy a letter. If Mr. John would be so good, a quill pen, sir, if you please. He cannot write with any other.' "'No,' said John coolly. "'Ellen will do it.' Marjorie looked in some doubt from the table to the sofa, but Ellen instantly rose up, and with a burning cheek came forward and took the paper from the hand where Marjorie still held it. "'Ask him to wait a little while, Marjorie,' she said hurriedly. "'I'll do it as soon as I can. Tell him in a half an hour.' It was not a very easy nor quick job. Ellen worked at it patiently, and finished it well by the end of the half hour, though with a burning cheek still, and a dimness over her eyes frequently obliged her to stop till she could clear them. It was done, and she carried it out to the kitchen herself. The poor man's thanks were very warm, but that was not what Ellen wanted. She could not rest till she had got another word from her brother. He was busy. She dared not speak to him. She sat fidgeting and uneasy in the corner of the sofa till it was time to get ready for riding. She had plenty of time to make up her mind about the right and the wrong of her own conduct. During the ride he was just as usual, and she began to think he did not mean to say anything more on the matter. Pleasant talk and pleasant exercise had almost driven it out of her head, when as they were walking their horses over a level place, he began. "'By the by, you are too busy, Ellie,' said he. "'Which of your studies shall we cut off?' "'Please, Mr. John,' said Ellen, blushing, "'don't say anything about that. I was not studying at all. I was just amusing myself with a book. I was only selfish and lazy.' "'Only? I would rather you were too busy, Ellie.' Ellen's eyes filled. I was wrong, she said. I knew it at the time, at least, as soon as you spoke I knew it, and a little before. I was very wrong. And his keen eye saw that the confession was not out of compliment to him merely. It came from the heart. You are right now, he said, smiling. But how are your reins? Ellen's heart was at rest again. Oh, I forgot them, said she gaily. I was thinking of something else. You must not talk when you are riding, unless you can contrive to manage two things at once, and no more lose command of your horse than you would of yourself. Ellen's eyes met his, with all the contrition, affection, and ingenuousness that even he wished to see there, and they put their horses to the canter. This winter was in many ways a very precious one to Ellen. French gave her now no trouble. She was a clever arithmetician. She knew geography admirably, and was tolerably at home in both English and American history, the way was cleared for the course of improvement in which her brother's hand led and helped her. He put her into Latin, carried on the study of natural philosophy they had begun the year before, and which, with his instructions, was perfectly delightful to Ellen. He gave her some works of stronger reading than she had yet tried, besides histories in French and English, and higher branches of arithmetic. These things were not crowded together so as to fatigue, nor hurried through so as to overload. 
carefully and thoroughly she was obliged to put her mind through every subject they entered upon and just at that age opening as her understanding was it grappled eagerly with all that he gave her as well from love to learning as from love to him in reading too she began to take new and strong delight especially two or three new english periodicals which john sent for on purpose for her were minds of pleasure to ellen there was no fiction in them either they were as full of instruction as of interest at all times of the day and night in her intervals of busyness ellen might be seen with one of these in her hand nestled among the cushions of the sofa or on a little bench by the side of the fireplace in the twilight where she could have the benefit of the blaze which she loved to read by as well as ever sorrowful remembrances were then flown all things present were out of view and ellen's face was dreamingly happy it was well there was always somebody by who whatever he might himself be doing never lost sight of her if ever ellen was in danger of bending too long over her studies or indulging herself too much in the sofa corner she was sure to be broken off to take an hour or two of smart exercise riding or walking or to recite some lesson and the recitations were very lively things or to read aloud or to talk sometimes if he saw that she seemed to be drooping or a little sad he would come and sit down by her side or call her to his find out what she was thinking about and then instead of slurring it over talk of it fairly and set it before her in such a light that it was impossible to think of it again gloomily for that day at least sometimes he took other ways but never when he was present allowed her long to look weary or sorrowful he often read to her and every day made her read aloud to him this ellen disliked very much at first and ended with as much liking it she had an admirable teacher he taught her how to manage her voice and how to manage the language in both which he excelled himself and was determined that she should and besides this their reading often led to talking that ellen delighted in always when he was making copies for her she read to him and once at any rate in the course of the day every day when the weather would permit the black prince and the brownie with their respective riders might be seen abroad in the country far and wide in the course of their rides ellen's horsemanship was diligently perfected very often their turning-place was on the top of the cat's back and the horses had a rest and mrs voss had a visit before they went down again they had long walks too by hill and dale pleasantly silent or pleasantly talkative all pleasant to ellen her only lonely or sorrowful time was when john was gone to randolph it began early saturday morning and perhaps ended with sunday night for all monday was hope and expectation even saturday she had not much time to mope that was the day for her great week's mending when john was gone and her morning fares were out of the way ellen brought out her work-basket and established her on the sofa for a quiet day's sewing without the least fear of interruption but sewing did not always hinder thinking and then certainly the room did seem very empty and very still and the clock which she never heard the rest of the week kept ticking an ungracious reminder that she was alone ellen would sometimes forget it in the intense interest of some nice little piece of repair which must be exquisitely done in a wristband or a glove and then perhaps marjorie would softly open the door and come in miss ellen dear you're lonesome enough isn't there something i can do for you i can't rest for thinking of your being here all by yourself oh never mind marjorie said ellen smiling i am doing very well i am living in hopes of monday come and look here marjorie how will that do don't you think i am learning how to mend it's beautiful miss ellen i can't make out how you've learned so quick i'll tell mr john some time who does these things for him no indeed marjorie don't you 
"'Please not, Marjorie. I like to do it very much indeed. But I don't want he should know it, nor Mr. Humphreys. Now you won't, Marjorie, will you?' "'Miss Ellen, dear, I wouldn't do the least little thing as would be worrisome to you for the whole world. Aren't you tired sitting here all alone?' "'Oh, sometimes a little,' said Ellen, sighing. "'I can't help that, you know.' "'I feel it even out there in the kitchen,' said Marjorie. "'I feel it lonesome, hearing the house so still. "'I miss the want of Mr. John's step up and down the room. "'How fond he is of walking so, to be sure. "'How do you manage, Miss Ellen, with him making his study here? "'Don't you have to keep uncommon quiet?' "'No,' said Ellen. "'No quieter than I like. "'I do just as I have a mind to.' "'I thought, to be sure,' said Marjorie, "'he would have taken upstairs for his study, or the next room, "'one or t'other.' He used to be mighty particular in old times. He didn't like to have anybody round when he was busy. But I am glad he is altered, however. It is better for you, Miss Ellen, dear. Though I didn't know how you was ever going to make out at first. Ellen thought for a minute, when Marjorie was gone, whether it could be that John was putting a force upon his liking for her sake, bearing her presence, when he would rather have been without it. But she thought of it only a minute. She was sure, when she recollected herself, that, however it happened, she was no hindrance to him in any kind of work, that she went out and came in, and, as he had said, he saw and heard her without any disturbance. Besides, he had said so, and that was enough. Saturday evening she generally contrived to busy herself in her books. But when Sunday morning came, with its calmness and brightness, when the busyness of the week was put away, and quietness, abroad and at home, invited to recollection— then Ellen's thoughts went back to old times, and then she missed the calm, sweet face that had agreed so well with the day. She missed her in the morning, when the early sun streamed in through the empty room. She missed her at the breakfast-table, where John was not to take her place, on the ride to church, where Mr. Humphreys was now her silent companion, and every tree in the road, and every opening in the landscape, seemed to call for Alice to see it with her. Very much she missed her in church, the empty seat beside her, the unused hymn-book on the shelf, the want of her sweet voice in the singing. Oh, how it went to Ellen's heart! And Mr. Humphrey's grave, steadfast look and tone kept it in her mind. She saw it was in his. Those Sunday mornings tried Ellen. At first they were bitterly sad. Her tears used to flow abundantly whenever they could, unseen. Time softened this feeling. While Mr. Humphreys went on to his second service in the village beyond, Ellen stayed at Caracara and tried to teach a Sunday school. She determined, as far as she could, to supply beyond the home circle the loss that was not felt only there. She was able, however, to gather together but her own four children, whom she had constantly taught from the beginning, and two others. The rest were scattered. After her lunch, which having no companion but Marjorie, was now a short one, Ellen went next to the two old women that Alice had been accustomed to attend for the purpose of reading, and what Ellen called preaching. These poor old people had sadly lamented the loss of the faithful friend whose place they never expected to see supplied in this world, and whose kindness had constantly sweetened their lives with one great pleasure a week. Ellen felt afraid to take so much upon herself as to try to do for them what Alice had done. However, she resolved, and at the very first attempt their gratitude and joy far overpaid her for the effort she had made. Practice, and the motive she had, soon enabled Ellen to remember and repeat faithfully the greater part of Mr. Humphrey's morning sermon. Reading the Bible to Mrs. Blackson was easy. She had often done that. And to repair the loss of Alice's pleasant comments and explanations, she bethought her of her pilgrim's progress. To her delight the old woman heard it greedily, and seemed to take great comfort in it. 
often referring to what Ellen had read before, and begging to hear such a piece over again. Ellen generally went home pretty thoroughly tired, yet feeling happy, the pleasure of doing good still far overbalanced the pains. Sunday evening was another lonely time. Ellen spent it as best she could, sometimes with her Bible and prayer, and then she ceased to be lonely, sometimes with so many pleasant thoughts that had sprung up out of the employments of the morning, that she could not be sorrowful. Sometimes she could not help being both. In any case, she was very apt, when the darkness fell, to take to singing hymns, and it grew to be a habit with Mr. Humphreys, when he heard her, to come out of his study, and lie down upon the sofa and listen, suffering no light in the room but that of the fire. Ellen was never better pleased than when her Sunday evenings were spent so. She sung with wonderful pleasure when she sang for him, and she made it her business to fill her memory with all the beautiful hymns she ever knew or could find, or that he liked particularly. With the first opening of her eyes on Monday morning came the thought, John will be at home to-day. That was enough to carry Ellen pleasantly through whatever the day might bring. She generally kept her mending of stockings for Monday morning, because with that thought in her head she did not mind anything. She had no visits from Marjorie on Monday, but Ellen sang over her work, sprang about with happy energy, and studied her hardest. For John, in what he expected her to do, made no calculations for work of which he knew nothing. He was never at home till late in the day, and when Ellen had done all she had to do, and set the supper-table, with punctilious care, and a face of busy happiness, it would have been a pleasure to see if there had been any one to look at it. She would take what happened to be the favorite book, and plant herself near the glass door, like a very epicure, to enjoy both the present and the future at once. Even then the present often made her forget the future. She would be lost in her book, perhaps hunting the elephant in India, or fighting Nelson's battles over again, and the first news she would have of what she had set herself there to watch for would be the click of the door-lock or a tap on the glass, for the horse was almost always left at the further door. Back then she came from India or the Nile. Down went the book. Ellen had no more thought but for what was before her. For the rest of that evening the measure of Ellen's happiness was full. It did not matter whether John were in a talkative or a thoughtful mood whether he spoke to her and looked at her or not. It was pleasure enough to feel that he was there. She was perfectly satisfied merely to sit down near him, though she did not get a word by the hour together. End of chapter 44